There are 40 new Hallmark movies this year. You get 40 new Hallmark movies. You have a cozy Christmas in. Erica, a real estate, a real estate exec, travels to Alaska to acquire a bed and breakfast, only to discover that it's owned by, guess who? Her ex. <laughs> you have a tale of two Christmases. Thanks to some Christmas magic, Emma gets to experience two different Christmases, one where she stays in the city and celebrates with her new crush and his friends, and one where she returns home for all the traditions with her family and Drew, a longtime friend who may have feelings for her. It's always about the girl going back home to, to someplace. You have a royal corgi Christmas. A prince with a rambunctious corgi named Mistletoe hires Cecily, a canine behavior expert from America. Sparks fly between them as, as the pair work together to get Mistletoe ready to present at the annual Christmas ball. And just as the precious pup captures their hearts, they discover that love can grow in unexpected places. <laughs> Raise your hand, women. If you watch Hallmark Christmas movies, just be honest. Be on, yeah, more come up. There's a phrase in these movies that gets used over and over again in the movies we grew up with even. It's a Christmas miracle. It's a Christmas miracle. These two people who are very attractive, who have different lifestyles, they fall in love. It's a Christmas miracle. The orphanage. Money came in. The orphanage, she said, yes. All the orphans, are, Christmas miracle. You know, mistletoe didn't bite Santa Claus this year and pee on the tree. It's a Christmas miracle. We trained him well. We feel a need to add to the already miraculous thing that has happened that we celebrate this Christmas season. And it's a miracle that if we ignore, will undermine the rest of the gospel. And so we're going to look at how this miracle plays out. What, what, what am I talking about? What miracle? And we're going to talk about then its importance and why we shouldn't neglect in celebrating this, uh, why we shouldn't ignore this miracle. Turn to Matthew 1. God reveals to us who he is through his word. Have God's word in front of you when God's word is being preached to you. We have Bibles in the back. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. Please take one. It's our gift to you. Uh, it'll get you started. Uh, but we're in Matthew 1, the first book in the New Testament. Last week, we looked at Jesus's human lineage, all the knots, all the different people. There were, uh, either, there were prostitutes, people associated with sin. Uh, there were Gentiles in his family tree. Uh, and Matthew's really just telling us that, man, it, it, God, God's family tree is full of all types. He welcomes all types, uh, and he works through all types of people. And so we looked at that. We looked at his, his human lineage. Today we're going to look at his divine lineage. Turn to Matthew 1, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, betrothal was more serious than our modern engagement. Once you were betrothed, you were legally bound together. So to call off an engagement 
in this day and age would, would have been the equivalent of divorce. And this period of betrothal ends when the marriage is consummated. And so before they come together, before they come together, they find out that Mary was with child from the Holy Spirit. And Matthew's making it very clear that while appearing scandalous, I know this looks scandalous, nothing illicit has, has happened with Mary. It's the Holy Spirit, not any human agent who is responsible for the conception. Now here's a true miracle. We celebrate this holiday season. This foundational miracle is called the incarnation. If you want to write something down, write down the incarnation. The true origin of Jesus is divine. He is the second person of the Trinity. Jesus has always existed. In relationship with the Father, Son, is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He has always possessed a divine nature. When Jesus came into this world through the Holy Spirit's work in Mary, he did not cease to be divine. He was still fully God. Instead, he added a human nature. The incarnation establishes that Jesus Christ is, is fully God, that Jesus Christ is fully man. Let's just pause there for a second. How does that work? Well, we, we, we more know how it doesn't work. And if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. But how these two, two meld together, is it, you know, like a, like a peanut butter M&M? You know, you have the spirit inside with a human-coated shell or, or something. We've we got to be careful in, in terms of how we talk about it. We know how not to talk about it. So there's that. But just think about this. Our God fully knows what it's like to be us. Jesus experienced pain. He, he, he experienced grief. Uh, he, he lived in this broken world, even though he was without sin. He experienced the consequences of sin, a, a tired body, th things like that. And so when we suffer, when we experience grief, when we experience brokenness, we know that we have a God who understands. We have a God who is empathetic. He knows what it's like to be in our shoes. We have a God who can relate. But from a human perspective, this situation is, is a mess. It's something you would see on Maury Povich, right? Uh, Joseph, the test came back. You are not the father. How Joseph handles this issue, though, is important. Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph is the first person who is called just, who is called righteous. He knew that he should not go through with the marriage because from his perspective, Mary had relations with another man. It's a big no-no in Jewish culture. But he also was compassionate. He could not bear to shame her publicly, which is what would have been expected. Shaming was a, was a common practice to such an offense. In fact, it was almost mandatory that a husband expose his wife's infidelity publicly because she had dishonored him. 
He could even call for her death. But Joseph shows mercy over vengeance. Mercy is a mark of righteousness. Mercy is what God has constantly shown us, and mercy is what Joseph displays. Look at verse 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Reflecting, an angel comes to him and says, do not be afraid to marry Mary. She wasn't with another man. The child was conceived by the direct work of the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth, and I want you to name this child Jesus. Jesus. The Greek, the Greek name Jesus, it reflects the Hebrew Yahashua, Yeshua, which literally means God saves. In the Jewish world, names were not just a way to get your child's attention. And, and uh, Asher, get over here. Ruby, get over here. They weren't just quirky little things. We, we, we put on people like, uh, like movie stars do. They name their kids the weirdest things just because it sounds cool. Apple, Northwest, Blue Ivy. Uh, we got all sorts of... Cra- Kal-El is uh, what, that's Superman's dad's name, I think. One of them named their kid. It, it, it meant something. It it, it contained in that name the hopes and promises of their parents for that child. So this child will literally be the agent through whom God saves. What will he save us from? It says right here, sin. Sin. We don't like to talk about this in church. Kind of gloss over this because it's not very fun. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Why do we need saving from sin? Sin is any failure to conform to God's standards and act, thought, or inner disposition. It's not just doing wrong, it's failing to do that which you ought. Sin is something we do. It's a part of you and me as as humans Apart from Christ, sin is our master. We can't help but do it. Even our good works are tainted and unable to please God. And and here's, here's the real problem with sin. Its consequence is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, which is separation from God in this life, and eternal death, which is separated from separation from God forever. That's our, our lot apart. From, from, from Christ. We are enslaved. We are headed towards death. And there is nothing we can do about it on our own. We're in a pit that we can't climb out of. Jesus came to save you from that sin. I was reading an article about a young teenager who was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia where she needed a bone marrow transplant. And so she needed a a match. And nobody in her family uh, was a a possible donor. And her her sibling, her her parents, uh, and they knew if she would not get this transplant that she would die. 
after chemo and radiation, she would most likely die. Her parents in their 40s uh, had another child. Well, the newborn child was a match. And at 14 months, they took the bone marrow out of the baby and they, they put it in their daughter and their daughter was healed. She was saved from, from death. Jesus was born into this world to save us from death. He was born into this world to save us from sin and death. The angel is saying, Joseph, this little guy is somebody special. He's a savior of the world. In fact, scripture predicted this little guy's coming over 700 years ago. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is, this is a promise from Isaiah 7, 14. Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. Step back. Again, we have a God who fulfills his promises. So when God says he's going to do something, he will do it. So when he promises that I will do this in the future, he'll do it. I will return and set all things right. He will do it. I will never leave or, or forsake you. I, I promise that that is what's going to happen. We have a God who keeps his promises. Jesus is the prophesied Emmanuel. He's, he's God with us in flesh. He is fully God. He is fully man. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Again, we see the obedience and, and faithfulness of Joseph in these last few verses. So why? Why is the incarnation a miracle worth hanging our hats on? Why is it such a big deal? Can't we just say Jesus came, he's a nice guy? Like what? Why does he have to be born of the Spirit? Why does he have to be part of the Trinity, existent with God in eternity past? Like, well, why? Why is that such a big deal? I remember reading a book when I was a new believer, and I thought this book was the bee's knees. The older I got, I looked back at this book, and, and it's just garbage. Uh, if you want to know what book it is, I'll let you know after. Uh, I don't like to bush, bash, bush, bash publicly when I'm being recorded, but I'll do it when I'm not. Um, and so, uh, but I, I, in this book, they talked about, you know, sometimes our theology is like a big stack of, of cards. You know, you build a card house when you're little and everything's real delicate. And it's like, you know, he, he was talking about, sometimes it's like we, we, we live like if we pull one of those cards out, the whole thing will be, uh, will come crumbling down. We hold on to our theology way too tight. We, we take things way too seriously. And, and there's, there is some truth to that. There's some things that we hold on to that maybe we don't need to hold on to with such a tight grip. But the example he used was, was terrible to make his point. He said, let's say archaeologists find, you know, years and years ago, proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry. That's the actual name he uses in the book. So it's great. <laughs> An archaeologist digs up definitive proof and they find this tomb and they do DNA samples and they prove that the virgin birth was just a, a bit of mythologizing. That shouldn't destroy our faith, right? It should. Here's why the incarnation is, is so important. If Jesus is just a guy, 
not God incarnate. We are still in our sin. Jesus had to be both fully God and fully man to save you and I from, from our sin. Only our infinite God could bear the full penalty for all the sins of those who would put their faith in him on the cross. A finite creature would be incapable of bearing that penalty. I cannot die for Doug's sin. <laughs> I can die for mine. I cannot die for all of humanity's sin. But God can. Furthermore, we see all throughout Scripture, salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. All of Scripture shows that no human being or creature could ever save man. Only God can save Jesus, Jesus has to be divine. On the other side, we must affirm Jesus' full humanity. Jesus had to be a man to, to take our place and pay the penalty that was due to us. He could not have been a, a substitute sacrifice for us on the cross if he wasn't one of us. Furthermore, in order to fulfill his role as mediator between God and man, Jesus had to be both fully God and man. Our sin estranged us from God, alienated from God. We needed someone to come between God and ourselves to bring us back together. The incarnation establishes that Jesus Christ is, is fully God and fully man, and Jesus must be fully God and fully man to save us from sin. And yeah, there, there are truths in, in the house of cards not worth dying over. I got Arminian, pedo-baptizing, pre-tribulation friends who, who love Jesus. Probably not a friend who's all of those things, uh, but friends who are maybe uh, one of those things. And if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, you're proving my point. But if you remove the incarnation, you remove the divinity, humanity of Jesus, the house will crumble to the point where the gospel will lose its saving power. So when you're stuffing stockings this, this week, opening presents, when you're shopping, how many of you have shopping left to do? Yeah, you better get on it, man. It's getting close. When you're overeating, you're drinking eggnog, non-alcoholic, because this is a church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're watching that terrible movie that says it's a Christmas miracle. Pause and reflect on the true miracle. Around 2,000 years ago, God took on flesh for you. Fully God, fully man in the humblest of ways possible and one of the most dangerous contexts possible, which we will see next week. It was anything but a silent night. And for around 30 years, we see him teach, we see him serve, we see him cause problems for the religious elite, we see him perform miracles, but it's all leading to the primary reason of his advent, to save lost people from their sin. Let's pray.